It's good to be with you all today. It's good to have you all with us, especially those who are visiting. Uh, I'm very fond of this congregation. It's, uh, I don't go to many churches uh, during the year. Sometimes I go and do an India presentation, but uh, I don't get out much. Uh, I'm pretty confined to Center Grove. But uh, I do like to come here when I'm invited to come. And it's uh, because I feel comfortable. I know so many people, I think. Believe it or not, I'm actually a bashful guy. And uh, when I know people, I feel more comfortable. It's easier for me to talk in public. It's easy over in India because they, they don't know what I'm saying. By the, by the time they translate what I've said, they might think the translator goofed. So, you know, the egg isn't on me necessarily. But uh, I do love being here uh, with you. Uh, it's, uh, I'm very fond of the church. And, of course, I got a lot, a lot of family here. And that, uh, that helps a lot. To the visitors, I know the congregation here is very, very grateful. Our brother mentioned a few moments ago about all the great mission works going on in the world, and that is true. People are literally begging for somebody to carry the gospel to them. Uh, I listened to a plea from a missionary from China the other day, and uh, the people over there, like they are in uh, many third world countries, are desperate for the gospel. And uh, he's about got me talking into going to China before too long, so uh, I may go over and see what Beijing looks like. But I do know that is the case in India, a work that you all are involved in uh, uh, very much. And uh, it's a lot of good that's going on in the world uh, in spreading the gospel. And we, uh, we appreciate that so much. Uh, Jack's going to be here uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. Uh, he's going to talk about Islam. That's something some people don't know anything about. Uh, there's a lot we can understand about Islam. It's, very, uh, it's a very challenging religion to try to understand. Uh, I've read the Quran through three or four times, and uh, uh, it still challenges me trying to understand it because it contradicts itself so much. But there are a lot of peripheral matters that uh, we can learn, understand, and that is very interesting. Because a lot of the people that we work with now, uh, you know, are Muslims, and it's good to uh, know at least the basics of Islam. Uh, Jack will do a very good job presenting that material, and uh, it'd be worth your while to hear what our brother has to say. We're talking about uh, the prodigal son today. In Bible class, we talked about the prodigal son himself. Uh, today, or at this hour, I would like to talk about uh, the father uh, of the son. Uh, if I was to call the parable anything instead of the prodigal son, I would probably call it the forgiving or the understanding father. When you look carefully at the parable, it's not about the son. It's actually about the father. It's about God. What is God like? This is the question our Lord is answering. Notice the first few verses that uh, begins our uh, larger context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now the tax collectors, uh, these were Jewish people who were collecting taxes for the Romans. And the Jewish people considered them to be Benedict Arnold's, if you will. They were traitors to their, na their nation. And uh, they were greatly despised by the Jewish people, uh, especially uh, the Jewish authorities. Uh, in addition to that, there were many sinners. We know that uh, there were a lot of prostitutes, for example, 
that uh, followed our Lord, listened to what he had to say. Some of them, such as Mary Magdalene, were converted to uh, Christianity and became New Testament Christians. Uh, these people would draw near to him wanting to hear what Jesus had to say. He was offering hope, hope which they didn't have. According to their Jewish brethren, they were without hope. They had crossed the line. They were tax collectors. They were sinners. They were unsavable at this point in their life. And they would have nothing to do with them. They were outcasts. They wouldn't speak to them. They wouldn't let them walk on the same side of the street as they walked. Then along came Jesus and everything changed. He turned the world upside down. He quickly became uh, one of the greatest uh, speakers uh, known to the people there in the regions where he preached, predominantly in Judea and Galilee. But uh, the people, uh, one of the things they picked up on about our Lord was he cared about them. He actually cared. It wasn't just a lot of words. The man really cared. He would go into long hours of the night healing people. He deprived himself of sleep and rest just so he could do what he could to alleviate some of their pain and suffering. And wherever he went, the people, would, they would come. They would come in groves. They would come in by the thousands. Crowds actually accumulated up sometimes to 20, 25, 30,000 people. And it was a, a, an awesome sight. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Matthew said, Jesus had compassion for the people. His heart went out to these tax collectors and sinners. In addition to uh, others, he had compassion when he saw that they were harassed and they were helpless. Nobody cared about them. They were the, the good-for-nothings. They were like sheep uh, without a shepherd, and he cared for them uh, very deeply. He became a shepherd to these people. He was their, uh, he was, he was their savior. The Pharisees, now these are the religious elite. Pharisees were separatists. When um, the Jews went back to uh, Palestine after Babylonian captivity, they knew uh, that the sins of their fathers was what caused the Babylonian captivity in the first place. And there were a number of things that they vowed not to do again. There was a group that arose within the mass of people who styled themselves as separatists. They're going to be separated from the mass, and they're going to devote themselves only to God, and they were going to be holy people. Well, they were known as the Pharisees, and they placed themselves a notch above the rest because they were, in their minds, they were the holiest of holy people. They were the greatest of all. Also gathered there were the scribes. These were the people who wrote the scriptures. Uh, labored uh, intensely, laboriously. Uh, they would write the scriptures with great painstaking efforts, making sure to make no mistake. We could talk about what they did just to write the scriptures. It would take an hour to explain uh, their process. It was so intense. But anyway, these are the religious elite. Jesus has the people coming to him, and he's not running them off. Instead, he's embracing them. The Pharisees, the scribes, they start grumbling. They start fussing. What's their complaint? Uh, the complaint is this man receives sinners and he eats with sinners. A godly person wouldn't do that. On one occasion, Jesus was in the house of a Pharisee and a woman came into the house and she washed our Lord's feet with her tears and she, 
she dried them with the hair of her head. Uh, she was uh, she was so moved by him. Apparently, he had forgiven her sins, and here on this later occasion, she came into this house to express herself. Uh, and the great devotion she felt toward him. And the Pharisee who invited our Lord there, he, he said this, this man, this man Jesus, if he were truly a prophet, uh, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. Why? Because she's a sinner. Notice, if he were a prophet. Now, he can't be a prophet. Why not? If he was a prophet, he wouldn't let her touch him. Why? Because she's a sinner, and no godly man would let a sinner touch him. This is their idea, the concept of God, that God would have nothing to do with a sinner. They're nasty, they're dirty, they're low life. God would have nothing to do with them. If he were a prophet like he claims to be, he wouldn't let this woman touch him because he'd know. He knows she was a sinner. This is the mindset of these people. So when they seen Jesus eating and speaking with uh, tax collectors and sinners, they knew in their mind he was not a man sent from God because God would have no such association with sinful people. The bottom line was they didn't know what God was like. And that's an irony because these are God's people. These are the greatest of all. These are the ones that are closest to God. At least that's what they thought. They didn't even know what God was like. Have you ever wondered if that could be us? That's something that's crossed my mind on more than one occasion. Am I like a Pharisee? Do I, actually, do I really know God? Do I know what God is like? I mean, I know the word God. I know that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them. There's a lot of things I know about God, but do I know God, the person? He is a person. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all three persons. They, they are personalities, just like you and I are. They are knowable, just like you and I are knowable. Do I really know God? These men thought they knew God because they were the cream of the crop. If you wanted to find a holy man in all Judea, you would go get a Pharisee. Some would go get a Sadducee, though very few would. But they would definitely go get a Pharisee because these were the best. You had people like Nicodemus that folks held up in high regard. But the problem was they did not know God. <clears throat> and that's one of the reasons they rejected Jesus. They didn't know him. God walked up to them, spoke to them face to face, and they didn't even recognize their own God. Some of the Gentiles did, a centurion did. Remember when our Lord died, the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God? He recognized God in the flesh, but God's people did not. Why? Because God would not have dealings with a sinner. But Jesus did. So... Because this man receives sinners and eats with them, so Jesus told them this parable. You see what the parable is all about? They didn't know God, so Jesus told them a parable so they could know what God is like. And that's the purpose of the parable. You see, in John chapter 17 and verse 3, our Lord said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to see him as he is because the goal or the objective that each one of us has while we're in this world is the same. And that is we are to become like God. Romans 8, 29, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 both teach us that. There are a number of other passages. But while we're here, we're to learn to become like God. We want to live in God's house one day. It's only fitting that we would uh, uh, be compatible to God. I can't imagine living in the house with a God whom I'm not familiar with because I might decide I really didn't like it there. So we must be compatible with God. And that's what we're trying to do. That's one of the reasons why we follow the law the way we do. Some people call us uh, legalists. Some people make, a, make fun of our, uh, our, our care, the care we exercise in trying to do the things that the Lord would have us to do. But he has given us his word. He has given us his rules because this is how he trains us to become like God. This is what God is like. And by doing this, this is what we become like. We actually become like God in the process. That's why we think it's so important to exercise caution. Knowledge of God is crucial to eternal life. Without it, there won't be eternal life. We know from what Jesus said in John 17 and 3. But before we can even have faith, there has to be knowledge. Romans 10 and 17, we know that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So faith is a product of knowledge. I read something about God. I believe what I read, therefore I have faith. Faith is the product of knowledge understood and accepted. And according to the Hebrews author in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 6, if we don't have faith, we can't please God. If we don't have faith, we won't do what God wants us to do. Because it takes a great deal of faith to do what God wants us to do. I used to be a high-strung fella. I used to be... Uh, a little on the wild side a long time ago. One of the problems I had was a temper problem. And if somebody got in my face, uh, I'd get them out of it real quick. And one of the hardest things for me to overcome was temper, getting over my temper. But uh, it's something uh, that we, we have to do. There was only one good reason I could see for me to get over my temper. And that was that that was what the Lord wanted me to do. I always felt like if somebody got in my face, I had the right to get them out of it. It was my right to remove them because I, I've got the right to protect the ground I stand on. And I, I never felt bad or guilty about that. The only reason I would ever exercise restraint is because I know and I believe that this is what God requires me to do and therefore I try to do it. I try to restrain myself. Now, without faith, it never happened. Never happened. Without faith, we're not going to do what God wants us to. It takes faith to do what the Lord wants us to do. This is one of the reasons why sometimes Christians don't do what God would have them to do. Sometimes Christians don't go to all church services. The Bible says we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There are some who are able-bodied people who just choose not to go. It's not because they can't. It's because they don't want to go. 
Well, why? Well, because they don't really believe that God's going to be upset if they don't do what he tells them to do. Without faith, we won't please God. Without faith, we won't do what God wants us to do. We just don't have enough motive. We don't have enough reason. It takes faith to move us to action. And that's what the Hebrew author is talking about, I believe. When he said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because without faith, I just won't want to. I won't have enough reason to do that. And before there can be faith, or there, there has to be knowledge, and before there can be love, there has to be faith. Uh, the first and second commands in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 uh, through 39, we are to love God first and foremost with all of our heart, our minds, our soul, and our strength. We are to love God supreme. Do I? Do I? Me? That's my question for me. I'm the only person who can answer it. Do I love God? I know what love is. I love my wife, I love my children, I love my grandchildren, I love my sister-in-law, love my nephews and nieces. I know what love is. I love. Do I love God? Do I really love God? Uh, before I, I, I learned to love my wife, I had to get to know her. We started dating. And one of the reasons was I knew once she knew me, she wanted to marry me. See, I already wanted to marry her. I was already in love. I got bit by the love bug. And I thought once she got to know my sparkling personality, she'll love me and she'll marry me. And it worked out like I thought it would. Anyway, if you believe that, I got some swamp land I want to say. Uh, you've got to know someone before you'll trust them. You have to know someone before you can love them. And we all know that. Well, we have to trust God. We have to love God. Therefore, I conclude we must know God. These folks didn't know God. And Jesus taught this parable so they could. Now, this parable isn't going to tell us everything about God, but it's going to tell us some things about God. And we want to pay attention to those things we learn about God from this parable. He told them the parable, and it answers the question, what is God like? Well, God is like a shepherd who lost the sheep. He talks about the shepherd losing the sheep in verses 4 through 7. I'm not going to put all the verses up on the board, but uh, there was a man who had 100 sheep. He lost one of his sheep. He looked high and low to find that sheep. Uh, shepherds over in the Middle East, uh, they, take, uh, they put a lot of pride in their work as shepherds. Uh, they, they'll, act, they'll die for their sheep. Remember Jesus said a good shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep? They do. I mean, they take that work seriously, the work of a shepherd. Some, not all, of course, but some do. Uh, this man, he's got 100 sheep. One of them's lost. What does he do? He leaves the 99. He goes for, for that one. The one's the one that needs him, and that's the one he goes after. He finds that sheep, and he's tickled to death that he found the sheep, and he brings it home. And then Jesus made this statement. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This tax collector, this sinner that you're mocking, when this person turns to God, there's rejoicing in heaven. You sneer at this tax collector and this woman. You, you sneer at them as though they're undesirable. God, God tries to reach them. God tries to embrace them. 
And when he does, there's happiness in heaven. That's the way God feels about tax collectors and sinners. The implication is, folks, you better take a close look at yourself. You're not thinking the way God thinks. Uh, see, they get lost accidentally. Sometimes you've got to think about the plight a person finds themselves in. Sheep, they don't necessarily get lost. Sheep is kind of a dumb animal. They just, uh, they just, you know, they're out there wandering around grazing. And the shepherd is constantly, you know, trying to keep his sheep together. And sometimes they'll wander off, not because they meant to, it's just accidentally they get themselves lost. They don't know any better. A sheep knows it's lost, but it doesn't know how to go home. That's why they have to be retrieved. Somebody has to go get them. A dog would come home. A sheep, there's no telling where a sheep's going to go. He just wanders aimlessly. Well, that's the way some people are. They're like sheep. They get lost accidentally. Uh, they didn't realize they were lost until they found themselves lost. And once they find themselves lost, they don't know what to do about it. You ever run into somebody that doesn't know what to do? They need to, they know, they need to, they know to do something. I need to do something, but I don't know what I need to do. There's so many churches. I don't know what church to go to. I don't know if I need to be baptized. I was baptized when I was three years old. I don't know, you know what I believe. There's people that don't know a whole lot. They're a lot like sheep, and they need, they need care, and they need the tender touch. That's the way some people are. Well, God's like a shepherd. He treats sheep like a shepherd, and that's the way his people are going to do also. Jesus doesn't say it, but it's obviously implied. Now, this isn't what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. They were mean. They were cruel-hearted towards such people. Someone has to find them. Someone has to show them how to return home to God because this is what life is all about. It's not about making money. It's not about extending the size of your house. It's not about having a new car. It's about people making a decision to walk with our Lord and then live with him forever in heaven. That's the only thing that matters about our life when all things are said and done. What is God like? Well, he's like a woman who lost her coin. He tells about the woman. She had ten coins. She lost one, and she turns the house upside down to get her coin back. It's her coin, and she wants her coin back. And Jesus said, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The woman was tickled to death when she found her coin. Well, God is tickled when he finds his coins or his lost coins. There is joy. Notice the language before the, the angels of God. If the joy is before the angels of God, then obviously it must be God who is filled with joy. God is happy. Have you ever imagined God laughing? God is thrilled with happiness when one of those tax collectors or sinners finds their way to him. The angels get to experience the joy of God right before their eyes. One day we shall, but for the moment, they do. It's something we have to look forward to. A coin gets lost because of somebody's negligence or carelessness. 
You know, a dime doesn't get up and say, oh, I think I'll get lost today. You know, we drop a dime. We reach in our pocket, we pull out our keys, and the dime falls out. It's an accident. But it's an accident not caused by the coin. It's caused by someone else. It doesn't know it's lost. A coin doesn't. It has uh, no reason to try to re return itself to its rightful owner. And that's the way some people are. They're lost, and they don't know they're lost, and they're not trying to be found. Uh, sometimes people are lost, but they think they're saved. Islam, for example, going to be talking about over a billion people in the world who think they are saved, but they are not. Jesus the Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Muhammad can't get the job done. It's Jesus or nothing. Over a billion souls are lost, but they don't know it because they think they're saved. And because they think they're saved, they have no reason to try to be found. Therefore, somebody has to go get them back, just like somebody has to go and retrieve the coin. Somebody has to find this individual and convince them that they're lost. This is what God does. This is what Jesus, he is God, and this is what he is doing. He's retrieving lost coins. What is God like? Well, God's like a father who lost his son. He's given us three pictures to look at. It shows us what God is like. And this is probably the one we relate to the most. His son is lost, and he wants his son back. I can understand that. If I lost a penny, I wouldn't worry about it. If I lost a sheep, I'd probably be happy the thing was gone. I, I don't know. I don't deal with sheep. Uh, just something else that we'll have to do. Uh, but if I lost a son or a daughter, it would, uh, it would eat me alive. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. I would do what you all would do. I would do everything in my power to try to find my lost child. Well, that's what God is like. He's like a father who has lost a son. See that tax collector over there? God lost a son right there. That was God's son. He was born into the family of God. He was circumcised on the eighth day along with all the rest of you. And now he's lost. That's my son. I remember the day he was circumcised. And I loved him. And now he's lost. And you're mocking him. And I want him back. You see, God's like a, a, a father who has lost his child. Why did God let his son leave? How could he make him stay? There's such a thing as free will that exists. God gives us free will because it could be no other way. Nobody wants to be loved because someone has to love you. Rich people, most, I think, don't want to be loved. Just because they're rich, they hope somebody loves them for who they are. Well, God wants to be loved for who he is also. He's a very lovable person once you get to know him. But if he made us without free will and we had to love him, that wouldn't be love at all, at least not as we know love. People have free will. And because we have free will, God can't force us to stay. He wants us to, but he won't force us to because he gave us free will and he lives by the rule just like we do. How do we comprehend the love of God? I, I don't know. I don't know how you would answer. Do you know how to answer that question? 
I have no idea how to wrap my mind around the love of God. It's bigger than anything I can imagine. We can look at some instances such as Saul of Tarsus. Here was a man who persecuted his son in his church. I mean, he, he, he would imprison people. He would drag women out of houses by the hair of the head. He would sentence people, having them put into prison where they would be beaten and mistreated. He even consented to the death of some. He was responsible for murdering people because they belonged to Jesus Christ. He was the enemy of God by, in every sense of the word. And yet God loved that man. How do you comprehend that? I don't love that way. And I know I don't. And I can't even understand how God could, but he does. He loved Saul. Saul, was, he was staggered by it. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief. I'm the worst of the worst, and he still loves me. I don't understand why he does. I just know that he does. How could he love me? Well, that's God. For this reason, he said, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. What's the point? If he can love me, he can love you. That's the point. God loved Saul of Tarsus in spite of what he did to his people. When Saul turned to him, he embraced him like a lost son. God loved that man. And Paul says, if he can love me, he can love you too. I don't care what you've done. How do you comprehend the love of God? I don't understand. How about this guy? You love him? His name is Jeffrey Dahmer. He's responsible for the death of 17 people. And a lot of these people, he ate. As a cannibal, he ate them. Not all of them, but maybe half of them. He ate these people for food, for sustenance. And he was finally caught. And he was thrown into prison. How do you feel about that man? How can we feel about him? Do you know that he was converted by our brother Roy Ratcliffe? I forgot what congregation he preaches at, but he is a gospel preacher. And what Brother Ratcliffe said was, I was convinced that Dahmer wanted God in his life. So he took him and he baptized him in water. And according to everything you and I know, he was forgiven by God. As long as he was sincere in his heart, he was forgiven by God. I know the love of God is so big that I don't get it. I know I don't get it. I've thought about it too many times. The love of God is so infinite that he can love Dahmer and I'm still wrestling with it. I hope he's saved but there's a part of me that it just tears all to pieces and in all honesty if one of those people he had eaten had been my child I don't know how I'd feel. but he could have eaten Jesus Christ and God would have forgiven him because that's the love of God. I don't understand it. I honestly don't. But those who think that God can't love them, 
You need to think again. It doesn't matter what we've done. God can forgive us. God can forgive us. There's no sin that you and I repent of that God will not forgive if we just ask him to. John said if we confess our faults to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9. The love of God is the most magnificent thing I've ever thought about and it thrills my soul. Great understanding when you think about God's infinite love, his ability to know the heart, an amazing degree of empathy for us, and intense desire for our friendship. These are some of the things that we learn about God from those three parables. Is what God is like. God is love. And God loves me. And I've learned to love God. Because I know he loves me. And he loves you too. And if you're not right with God today, it would be a shame to leave this place without fixing that. Because the Father is looking. He is searching. He is waiting. Like the shepherd after that sheep, the woman after her coin, and the father looking for that son. We have a portrait of God. Jesus painted us a picture that sticks to us, that will never leave us. The love of God is an amazing, amazing thing. There's a picture I found one time that kind of put me in mind of God's love for us. I don't have time to get to it, I'm afraid. I wish I did. I talked too much early on. Like a shepherd, that picture right there. I love that picture right there. I keep that picture in my study at home. I love it so much. That's the father receiving his prodigal son back. It reminds me of the happiness my father experiences when I return to him or the love he feels for me every day. If you need to return to our Lord, to become a Christian or as a Christian to be forgiven, please come. Brother Randy would be more than happy to help you.